Hey everybody, Luke here. In this week's episode, I have my good friend David Gray on. David works with a lot of people across the board from pretty high level athletes to sort of middling athletes as well, and just everyday people just helping them get out of pain. Uh, A lot of sort of performance focus as well from David's end. Um, Essentially what he's trying to do is just give people more movement options and help them to move a little bit better, uh, which he does a really, really good job of. So I've known David for quite some time. We actually met in Sydney. He is in Ireland now, where he's originally from. So it was really nice to chat with him in a similar time zone now that we're in Europe as well. But I hope you enjoy this chat. As always, really appreciate any comments, shares, and ratings. But here's the episode with David Gray. There's so much online stuff coming out though, isn't there? Yeah, there is. It's it's uh, it's really interesting the direction it's taking the whole industry. But I think it actually one of the things I wanted to talk to you about is just doing what you do online and the challenges that that kind of presents. Because normally you're very hands on, and now you're having to work out how to do all of this stuff online, which is both amazing. It's really cool that you can do that because mm-hmm. uh, you can work with so many people. But then it's also got its own challenges, right? Yeah, exactly. It's tricky. It's tricky. Um, but it's good. I was lucky. I was really lucky that I was doing it because if I wasn't like every other, every other therapist in Ireland was out of business straight away. Hmm. Yeah. It's hit a lot of, uh, fitness industries and gyms and all of that stuff pretty hard. Um, but (laughs) you've obviously exploded a little bit, which is pretty cool. So like what's, um, What's been the biggest challenges with doing the online stuff? I imagine probably just trying to communicate without actually like being able to show people stuff physically, right? It's, that's been the biggest thing. Um, but that's been a big eye opener for me as well, because it's, it's forced me to be very, very clear with my cueing and what I'm trying to get from people. And that has made me way, way, way better. And it's also forced me to be like create very creative with things. Um, and I don't even show people in the online session. So I don't even stand up and say, look, this is what I want you to do. I just use my words as much as I can. And they figure it out. And you realize you can't have any wasted words or any silly cues because that just doesn't work. So that's, that's where I'm at with it. And uh, it's been really good. Like, Yeah, it's super interesting. And I think, I mean, people in person need to learn from this as well, because you know, you would think that if you go online, you have to speak more to get your point across. And what you're telling me is actually, I need to be even more selective with what I'm saying. Um, and, you know, I think people that are firstly, probably most people are coaching people online right now, uh, given the circumstances. But when you go back to being in the gym, some of the trademarks I found of the best trainers or the best therapists or anything like that is that they can get across a lot of information with as minimal cueing as possible. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. He and see um, a guy called Nick Winkleman, a coach. He has a new book out around around queuing and external queues versus internal queues, and um, I'm very interested in that stuff. And I'm, or I work really hard on on the cues that I give to people, and um, like you can't you can't say flex your knee and extend your hip and anything like that. It just doesn't work. So it's about, it's about like, okay, can I say 
uh, someone is going to, I want someone to kind of round their back. Can I say someone's going to poke you in the chest or I'm going to poke you in the chest and I don't want you to let me. So you have to get your chest back away from my hand versus uh, protract your shoulders and flex your spine and like cues that people, even trainers, that, that doesn't mean anything to them. Even if you understand that language, it doesn't mean anything to them. So it's, 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 it's about getting creative and also it's about learning to connect with people through through online which is very hard because there's that delay and there's they can't maybe see your your facial expressions as well or or you know there's just all the things that we're missing within person so you have to be very clear with your words and you have to be you have to learn how to connect with people through that and um that's i think but but regardless that that's what most therapists i think or a lot of therapists and coaches are probably missing that how to connect with people and you and i both know that that's probably what makes the biggest difference the best guys that's what they are the best guys and girls that's what they do best yeah for sure and you know i sometimes tell people like my clients for example they say ah oh, i've got this back issue and who should i go see should i go and do Cairo, should I go and do acupuncture? Like, what am I supposed to be doing here? And uh, sometimes I just say to them, like, look, honestly, I think it's got more to do with who the actual therapist is than what the actual modality is. Because if you just get a good vibe off someone and it just works well, then honestly, that's probably going to get you a much better result than the the quote unquote like ideal therapy. Um, but you don't really trust the person, or you don't have a good rapport with them, or something like that. Exactly. Exactly. So if I, if I'm doing, if I'm the best therapist in the world and someone walks into my clinic and I, I remind them of someone that they hate, then that is, that's not going to work. So, uh, and that, that can happen. Or you just have a voice that doesn't, they don't like, or you just don't click with someone, then it probably doesn't matter if you have the best exercise or the best hands-on treatment or whatever it is, it's not going to work for them. Um, so that's why, that's why being able to connect with people, being able to empathize with people and understand where they're at and where they want to get to, what's like, what's their end goal with this? And the end goal, people really struggle, especially people in chronic pain, they really struggle to verbalize an end goal. They'll say, I just want to be out of pain. And I'll say, well, that's, that's, that's what you don't want, but what do you actually want? And then they'll say, well, I want to go and be, I want to be able to run a, a 2k and i'll say if you could do anything in the world you'd only run a 2k and they'd say no i'm actually i'd probably love to run a marathon and we'll say well that's what we're going to get you to do but even but people people really struggle to even have them kind of somewhat lofty goals because maybe they've been struggling with their body or or they've been limited by maybe what other therapists have told them for so long so even just you you showing someone you I'm trying to understand where you're at at the moment, how you've got there, where you want to be. And then we're going to work together to plug the gaps and build the, build the kind of steps along the way to get you to there. If you just do that with someone, they will walk out of your clinic. Absolutely. Or walk out of the online session. Absolutely bouncing. They'll go and tell 20 friends that they just had the best session ever. And you might not have even done any treatment whatsoever. So just understanding, understanding that these people are human beings and, and helping them understand that there's a plan around this, I think it's huge. Yeah, uh, man, that is, that is spot on and something that I can empathize with because you, like, as you know, I've had some back pain in my time and really just, it was something minor that happened uh, when I was doing like some heavy rack pulls or something. And I just didn't look after it properly to start with, but 
the issue then became, uh, I started to have some limiting thoughts around the way I could move and what was safe for me to do and that kind of thing. And because of that, I was plagued for years by this issue. And, you know, if I had had someone there to tell me like, listen, man, there's some basic stuff we can do. It's not the end of the world. If you're feeling some pain, you don't need to be scared of movement. And, and I guess something a bit more empowering then I think the trajectory that my sort of lifting career would have taken would have been completely different. Yeah. And it all just came down to exactly as you're just saying, just giving a bit of a vision of like, okay, well, what do you really want out of this? And, and don't be limited by the fact that you're feeling some pain right now. Such a key factor. Yeah, exactly. And that's the, that's the failure of the profession because if you go into, if you go into a, a bank or if you go into any, any business, really any industry, they're going to ask you, what's the plan here? You're not going to say like, okay, I have a business and it's going to make $10 million, $10 million next year. They're going to say, well, how are you going to do that? Well, first I'm going to do this, then the next step is that. But then when it comes to movement, it's okay, I want to get back to play with my, with my kids, but at the moment I can't get off the couch because my back is so sore. So how, how are we going to do that? We need to break down the movements that need to be, you need to be able to do. Your pelvis needs to be able to do this. Your hips need to be able to do that. Um, feet. Then you need to have a certain amount of strength around the muscles. Then you need to be able to put the movement together and we can break it down. And that, that, goes, for, that goes for someone who just wants to play with their kids and pick up their child off the floor. And that goes for someone who wants to deadlift whatever the hell it is, three times body weight because the movements are quite similar. It's just about making sure that you have the, those boxes ticks, ticked and then adding the load and making sure that the skill is there on top of that as well. So we, when you look at professional athletes, like when they come back from an injury, they're ticking those boxes, but then we look at general pop and they're not. And it doesn't really make sense as to why, why we wouldn't treat everyone's bodies as, well, let's just make sure we have those boxes ticked along the way and we should be fine. Yeah. And I also think like, just to expand on one of those points you made there, you know, whether you're dealing with people who are high level or whether, you know, just because I, I get some people who come in and they're like, well, look, I'm not looking to compete or anything, but, and it's like, well, yeah, but we can have the same mentality. And fundamentally what we're doing is not really different. Like if you want to lose some fat, like you're not doing anything different to someone who's competing. Um, you know, the principles are exactly the same and it's, it's the same with pain management and, and movement quality and stuff, isn't it? I mean, I'm sure you probably see some athletes who are probably terrible at some really basic stuff just because they're that far down the road of, of whatever they're doing. Right. Yeah, exactly. If you looked at me, if you looked at me, for, in, for instance, and he won't mind me saying it there, just did a session with, with Will Crozier there. Um, and he is a very, very strong guy. We just did an online session. And if you looked at me doing that session with him today and looked at me doing an online session with someone with just chronic back pain yesterday, the things would look so, so, so similar. Um, because it's just making sure that you have these movements in your body. And just because you're very, very strong or maybe not so strong, doesn't mean that you can do them very well. And typically similar things will, will, will make people feel better or help people feel better. Now, the issue there is in the industry as well, it's, you have two camps. You have the camp where it's like fluffy movement stuff and maybe manual therapy. And then you have the camp where it's like, just get stronger. And 
both both camps have obviously both camps get good results at times with certain people and i think we can we can improve movement quality we can improve all these other things and we can get stronger at the same time we don't have to choose one or the other and that goes back to kind of the methods that you were saying like we don't have to have the one method or the perfect method all these things have value and you just you just stir it up and see what you need for that one particular person yeah um that's actually a really good segue into another thing I wanted to ask you because I think, you know, obviously the conventional knowledge around um, pain management and, and manual therapy and all this sort of stuff is, is probably a little dated and, and doesn't really take into account the, the, the full picture, right? Um, but on the other hand, we also have some stuff that is like a bit fluffy and a little bit like, well, what is this even trying to do over here? Um, and I think probably some people would look at some of the stuff that maybe you promote as like, okay, the breathing and things like that and go, I don't get how that's supposed to work. Um, yeah. Like, what's the deal with this? It's not, you know, whatever. Um, show me a paper on that, you know? <laughs> yeah. um, but I wanted to ask, you know, there's obviously some stuff that you're going to come across and you're going to think, well, there's some real value in this and there's some way I can use this. And how do you separate out like, okay, this is something that actually makes sense to me and might work. And actually this is something that's like a little bit out there and a bit fluffy and I don't think it's really going to have a lot of utility. Yeah. Uh, it's a tough question and it takes time and it takes probably a lot of mistakes as well. And I'm still making those mistakes. I try to approach any kind of method or anything that I see with an open mind. So some people will, some people will approach it with, okay, where's the study for that? And if you don't have one, then it's useless. And I don't, I don't mind that approach, but I'd rather say, okay, let me have a look, see what they're doing, see why they say it works and kind of put my own lens on it and see, is there something I can take from that? Or why are some people getting good results here? Because people get good results with all different things. And I say, I think I said this on another po podcast. It's like, if you went to, I bet you, if you went to Asia or if you went to China and saw some of the things that they do, some of the manual therapy where they hammer into someone's spine or something like that you'll always see videos like that i guarantee you that there's people in asia that have said that made my back pain better so the question is not not that i'm saying to do that in any way and i'm not a big fan of manual therapy anyway but why like why so there's a brain involved and obviously it was a novel stimulus and it, for some reason or maybe they had just had a lot of confidence in the, the hammer or the guy that was doing it so there's there's reasons why things work um, and we might not always understand them, but if people are getting better, then there is maybe something to look into there. So it, I think it comes back to having a model in your mind. Uh, so I have a model in my mind as to how I would like people to be able to move. And that's a, it's not, it doesn't have to be that complex. It's just making sure all these joints have decent range of motion. It doesn't have to be people being able to do the splits or anything like that. But if you don't have a model of how at least at least movement could or should look like, now everyone is different and everyone has different different properties and characteristics and genetics, but we all are quite similar. There's a reason why every person in the history of the world decided to stand up and walk on two feet with one arm swinging and one leg swinging. So we have we are much more similar than different, I think. So when we when we can break that down and uh one of my kind of teachers gary ward has done a really good job with that um breaking down the gate cycle when we can break that down and look we can start to see what what someone's missing and hopefully plug that back in 
And then when I look at other methods or other people working and, and seeing things happening and seeing them maybe getting results, I'm, I'm, I'm saying, does it make sense to that, that, that kind of model of movement? Or if not, then are, what, what principles of movement, principles of just human adaption are they taking? And it could be just that they're just making someone really, really strong and really, really robust. And absolutely, that's great. Or it could be that they just have a lot of confidence in someone and what they're saying, then there's a placebo effect. Brilliant. It could be that they're just making them a little bit happier in themselves or getting better sleep or they're, they're just walking or eating a little bit better. So I think all these things have value and it takes time to try and get through the crap and the marketing and the things that people are saying and see what, what I can take from myself and what I can kind of plug in. Yeah, I, I like that approach. And I mean, that's actually a, a truly evidence-based approach, right? People take evidence-based to mean, well, is there a study for that? And how robust is the, the scientific research? But in reality, what we're doing is we're, we're sort of taking that Bayesian approach where we're updating based on what we see in the world and constantly updating and refreshing all of the evidence available to us. So to me, that is the true evidence-based practitioner approach. And I really, really like that. Um, something that you brought up was like, you know, with the, the using the mallet to try and <laughs> whack people. It's pretty, yeah, it's great. Um, and you mentioned there's, there's some kind of uh, input there to the brain and the nervous system. And I know you're a, sort of the crux of a lot of the stuff that you talk about is this sort of top down organization of the brain. And mm -hmm. I wondered if you could sort of describe that a bit more for people and explain how that sort of works with what you do. Yeah. So obviously incredibly incredibly complex and we don't understand it and we probably never will understand it um but i guess my simple bastardized understanding of it is something like this and it's that ultimately the brain our nervous system which is the boss it's the king it wants it wants us to be safe it wants us to survive and it wants us to reproduce pretty much so everyone who's listening to this is doing a pretty good job so far. Um, and your nervous system is, is, is pretty happy with you. Now, if you're in pain or you're not moving as well as you could be, then most likely that's a, not necessarily a structural issue or an issue at the level of a certain tissue. Now it could be, there's obviously like, <clears throat> there's obviously structural things that go on. Most of the things though, <clears throat> excuse me, most of the things that we see are, not that people feel like that i have tight hamstrings but actually it's the brain that is putting a lot of tension and tone into an area and it's serving as a protective mechanism so i would call it protective tone in an area if you are tight or if you can't move in a certain way you need to either stretch it or strengthen it um, and those are two good options but sometimes if we can just show the brain that it's safe to move into those areas, then it can let go of that tension and it can grant that movement there. And examples of this are, if you lie on my, if you lie on my table and I try and do a, a resisted muscle test and your hamstring tests weak, then I can say, think of you being the strongest person in the world and now your hamstrings can test very strong. And I'll, I'll use the same or similar pressure as best I can. And the opposite, the inverse of that would be, your hamstring test strong and I'll say, think, think of the worst pain that you've ever been in or think of someone that you hate and your, your hamstring can test weak. 
So it's just a little example of how the brain strength can be granted or taken away by the brain based on how the, basically if we change the physiology, uh, then we're, we're changing the neuroanatomy, we're changing everything and, and uh, everything changes as a result of that. So for people, the implications of this for pain is that for people who are in pain a lot of the time um, and feel a lot of tension in their body, and they can't, they can't even like they can't sit on the couch. They're trying to find this comfortable position. It's not that you're going to find this one magic position necessarily. It's that your brain can't just let go and let your body relax into any position. And if I look at my dog lying down, he'll lie down with his head hanging off the edge of the couch in the funniest position. And he can he, he's so relaxed. And it's so positions aren't bad. Any movement isn't bad. It's just that we can't let go a lot of the time. And that's the, that's the human condition. We're overanalyzing everything. Yeah. Some really interesting points there. And I think that that then, you know, ties into, uh, you know, when we're training or when we get injured and, and we're inducing a lot of, let's say muscle damage or, or, or pain in a certain area. And then that changes the way we move or maybe the way we, interact with the world that can have some implications for how you move in the future right which which can kind of become a bit of a vicious circle for people yeah yeah so it's it's habits everything we do is habits and we don't realize it but our whole life is dictated by our habits and our environment and your brain and, and your body and there's obviously bottom-up implications to this so i I think that we can't, the more we learn, the more we can't really separate the top down from the bottom up. They, they're constantly working together. And there's, there's inbuilt reflexes into the body that don't even go up to the level of the, of the brain. They go to the spinal cord and back. So if you, for example, for, for people listening, um, if you have a baby and you put, your, you put your finger into their palm, they'll grasp your finger. And it's not because they think they know you're their mommy or their daddy. It's because there's a palmar reflex that it just happens. And these are reflexes that are basically there to protect us. That's, that's why, because babies are, are, not, are obviously not amazing at uh, interacting with the world. And, and there's a plantar reflex. They're the same. If you kind of rub the bottom of their foot, they'll have a little, they'll have a little curling of the toes. So just because as adults, we don't express these reflexes, uh, we have more control over them a little bit. Well, I wouldn't say control, but they're not as evident as that. They're still there. So, ex for example, there's one called a stumble reflex, which is if I'm walking and I stub my, so my left foot hits the floor and I stub and I go to fall, straight away my right leg is going to swing through to catch me. So that's, that's not, that, that happens at the level of the spinal cord. That is not a, that is a reflex that's there to protect me. So, there is bottom up and top down and there's a definitely a need for being very, very, very strong and are as strong as you can be. Um, and being obviously each of the local joints having the movement available to them, but we, it's the interactions between all of these things. So back to your kind of initial question, the brain is plastic and the body is plastic. So what I'm doing with you right now is, I'm sitting on this chair and my brain and my body is getting better at sitting on the chair. So it's getting better at what we do all of the time. So if I go more walk for, for a walk more of the time, I'm probably going to get better at doing that. So these, these, um, 
and this is a big part of my work is people have pain and I'll always look back through their injury history and we'll always try and check these areas and, and look at what, when you got, or when you got hurt, what hurt um, and how that's having an impact on now, because people will see compensation as, as being a bad thing. It's not necessarily a bad thing. If I, if I have a sore right knee, then I'm probably going to start to walk a little bit more, maybe with my weight on my left side. And that's a good thing because it helps me keep, keep going on with my life. But if I avoid that for a very long time, I've changed, or not even a long time, a short time, I've started to change my movement and I'm compensating around an issue in one area. But now what happens if I sprain my left ankle? or I, I break my left ankle. Now I'm compensating away from kind of two areas and suddenly my options are limited. So compensation is good, but when I lose more and more movement variability, then I'm starting to load through one or two areas, overload through one or two areas, and that's when people can really run into trouble. So we're trying to give people back as much variability as we can not that compensation is bad. It's just that we want them to be able to access those areas and those movements when they, when they need to. Yeah. Great explanation. That's Um, a long, long winded answer, but um, no, it's really good though. I think it it gives people a clearer idea and I'm glad you brought up the, the sort of neuroplasticity side of things as well, because it does mean that when you give people back that movement variability, those movement options, you can affect quite a quick, turnaround with that i mean you might have had an injury for a long time that has caused whatever compensation that might be giving you a bit of pain or something but um because the the brain and the nervous system can adapt very quickly we're not necessarily talking about having to spend six to eight weeks for the strength of a muscle to to necessarily come up or you know for changes to happen at the level of a bone or a tendon or a ligament it's it's much quicker than that in many cases Mm -hmm. um and it does mean then that you know it takes out that factor of like, well, maybe I just didn't spend long enough training this particular quality. Like it's, you know, in the, in the physique world, a lot of time it's like, yeah, you're doing the right thing. You just need to wait another six months because it takes really long to build muscle. You know what I mean? So, um, but I, I really like that. And so it means that, um, when you're prescribing exercises, we're basically trying to just demonstrate to the brain what it's capable of doing. Right. Yeah, exactly. Give it back what it's lost a lot of the time. And that's the cool thing. And and people are always skeptical of this. And I'm very, very careful with promising quick fixes. Um, You'll see that on my Instagram, like I'll, I'll, I will, I will post like someone's result and like, look at, oh, they had pain for this long. And now after a few minutes, it's gone and stuff like that. And it will stay gone some of the time, but I'm careful with promoting that. That's not what we're looking for. And I don't want to work ever with anyone who is searching for just that. So I want people to be, this is, this is, I'm willing to put in the commitment over weeks and months and really weeks and months is what you won't be disappointed if you're thinking in that way. Like I need to, I'm going to, even, even for someone, I should say, even for someone who does get that quick fix and that quick change, I'm still saying to them, you have to put in this effort every single day now for the next, whatever, two weeks, three weeks, six months, whatever it is, because why would, why would you stop? But I have seen, and I see it every, pretty much every day in clinic that when we, it comes back to being able to assess someone really well. And if someone has been avoiding a movement for a long time, and suddenly we introduce that movement in a safe way back into their body. It's like their brain soaks it up. It's like if there was a dark corner of the, of the brain, of the body, which kind of 
the map became blurred a little bit and suddenly we're starting to starting to shine a light on that map again and fill in the areas that maybe got blurred out or forgotten about and you'll see people's entire movement reorganize the brain is happy to load through that area again and it's 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 incredible and it, you'll see that i think there was a study done on um I think there was a study done. I'm usually, I'm usually bad at quoting studies, but it was where they sewed monkeys. Uh, is it their fingers they're called? They sewed their two fingers together. And within, within two weeks, maybe the area, the, the area in the cortex, basically that was, was separating. This is my, this is one finger and this is the other that was starting to blur into one. So the, the brain, the, the map of the area was getting blurred and they were starting to, to see that actually it's the same finger right now. So when they, when they cut it then, when they opened it back up after a few weeks, it didn't take long for them areas to start to separate again and for the brain and the body to start to realize actually there are two different things here and they can move them independently from each other. So obviously there's way more research that needs to go into all of that, but I think that's evident for us to see every single day. If you look at someone sit outside the coffee shop and look at someone walking down the street, it's not hard to see what areas they they are avoiding and maybe they hurt in the past. Yeah, absolutely. You can see it all the time. Um, super interesting stuff. So like when you're working with someone and you can identify that there's a deficit somewhere, how, how do you approach then trying to give them back that movement? It's a case of trying to make the environment as as favorable as possible for them to, to do that movement. Right. But like, what's, what's the approach to that? It's tricky. That's the hard part. Uh, Cause everyone is different, but for, first off, we need to have some KPIs. So we're not just shooting in the dark here. So we have their into history and we've looked at their movement and I'm not trying to necessarily give back movement that, well, I am, I always want to make sure that they can access movements that maybe they should, they haven't been able to access. So for anyone, no matter who you are, if you come, with, come to me with knee pain, I'm probably looking at a little bit of everything and just making sure everything can do a decent job. And um, without getting like too woo-woo about it, you will see that like, yes, the shoulder, of course, it has an impact on the knee. And of course, of course, these things are supposed to interact together. So we will, it's not that you can't do treatment and stuff around the knee. Again, going back to the methods and the principles, you don't have to pick one or the other. I'll still make people, I'll still, I'll still stress people. And you've done, you've done my program. I think you feel, you see how hard I stress people and how strong we make them. Um, but we can, we don't have to choose. So I'll have KPIs. So if I'm looking at someone doing a movement and, or, or maybe I'm doing a movement for them on the table where I'm trying to check their range of motion. So I'd like to have two or three KPIs. So one might be pain, one might be range of motion and one might be a strength test, let's say. Uh, so if I do a movement, reintroduce a movement, and I feel like we've actually got it fairly good there, and, and it looks like you've gotten into that movement, when I retest, I would want at least two to three of those KPIs to improve for me to say, actually, that was valuable to your nervous system and your body. So I'm not I'm not stupid enough or, or um, arrogant enough to presume that I know what's best for your body, I'm just checking my work all the time and seeing, did your nervous system respond to that? So sometimes it's just, sometimes it can be as simple as saying to someone, do you know that you, that, or did you know that you put 70% of your weight on your right leg? 
and someone will say no and they'll say that and suddenly they'll they'll tune into the, to it they'll get that awareness of it and suddenly it's changed because it's like they didn't know and it's like the brain did that at some point and it just kind of kept doing that because it's habits so sometimes just that little bit of awareness is enough and for me everything starts with awareness if we can just shine a light on some of these things for people. A lot of the time they can figure it out from themselves. We don't need a million cues and we don't need their hands-on stuff. Just let them know where they're not really loading into and, and the brain will do the rest. It's an incredible thing to see. Yeah. Fascinating stuff, man. Um, so with all of that, I think one of the key things that obviously you mentioned, I've done your, your program, uh, both number one and number two. Uh, okay. Yeah. So I'm on to number two now and it's kind of killing me, but uh, my hamstrings are not so good. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but um, one of the things that is really stressed is the breathing side of things. So this is picking up a bit of steam now in, in the sort of fitness industry, I think. And I would love if you could just give a brief overview of like, why are people focusing so much on the breathing? Because I think it, it makes a lot of sense once it's actually explained to people. Yeah. Yeah. And it makes more sense when people feel it. Uh, Cause some people can't, they can't, and maybe I'm one of those. It's like, and I would have been like this in the past. I'm like, that is a load of crap. Why would I, that doesn't make sense to me. I'm an athlete. I play football. I work really hard. Why would I want to actually do the opposite and get, maybe get something to relax and, and, um, and let go a little bit. So first, firstly, if we want to break it down into something that's maybe easier for people to understand, it's on a base level. If we look at orthopedics, if we look at biomechanics, then we'll see, we'll typically see very, very stiff rib cages. So we've just lost a lot of movement at the rib cage, which has a huge impact on the movement of the spine. So most, most trainers are not far off with this. They're working a lot on the thoracic spine. You'll see that that's a mobility of the spine, right? So that's not that hard for them to, to, to grasp and understand. But then when you talk about breathing, they're like, what, that doesn't make sense. But if they understood the impact that the rib cage had on the spine, then they would be much more interested in, they should be much more interested in making sure the ribs are moving well first, which will then ha have an improvement on the spine. So if I'm taking 22,000 breaths a day, and those are kind of crappy breaths, not even from an autonomics or a nervous system standpoint, just from a, the movement of my rib cage and my lung standpoint, then that's going to have a big impact on how I actually move my spine. Now, again, if you understand biomechanics and the impact of some joints on other joints, whatever movement my rib cage makes, my pelvis is going to make the exact opposite movement. So if, my, if you're sitting there now and you put your ribs, your hands on your ribs at the front, your lower ribs, and you kind of arch your back and lift your lower ribs up into the sky, you'll actually feel that your pelvis will anterior tilt will tip forward at the front. And then the opposite, if I let my ribs, if I slouch my ribs down, my pelvis will tuck underneath. So if I want to have an impact on someone's pelvis, lower back hips, I know that if I can improve how their ribs move, then it's going to have a big impact on everything else lower down from a, and I'm trying to keep this as simple as I can because it can be hard to, to visualize on a, on a podcast. But if I'm standing up 
and someone tells me to lift my chest up really high up into the sky, which you'll see in the gym a lot of the time. So chest up is the cue. That's actually going to bring my center of mass forward onto my feet, forward on my feet. It's going to push my pelvis forward. So everything now is not really resting much on my heels. It's all kind of coming forward. And again, when we look at the brain standpoint, when, when, when everything starts to come forward, that is a very, very unsafe place for your brain because now it thinks that you're falling over. And for, remember the reflexes I spoke about earlier? All the, almost all the reflexes in our body are designed to stop us falling. Because if, we if we were in nature 20,000 years ago and we fell and we broke our leg, that could, that could be it, we're dead. Or we hit our head. Like there is, no, there is no hospital. There is no comeback from that, I think. So everything is stopping us from falling over. So if you are leaning forward, then watch, are you, you just lift your ribs up in standing. You're going to feel my toes grip, my calves get really tight, and my erectors, my spine, all the muscles around my back are going to be pulling me back. So just from a tension in, in, in areas where, where people will say, I always feel tension, my calves are always tight, my hamstrings are always tight, my back is always tight then if I can teach them to exhale and get the ribs to come down and relax, then it's going to change the center of mass and it's going to change tension everywhere else in the body. So that's kind of some of the biomechanics. It gets very, very, very complex. But to summarize that, ribs are really, really stiff and we breed like crap as human beings. And then from an autonomic standpoint, that kind of fight or flight, parasympathetic versus sympathetic, we usually as human beings we're taking in too much air all the time so when stress levels go up where i'm kind of i'm going from maybe a slower breathing rate to a, i'm taking in air and i'm taking in a lot of air and i'm not really getting rid of much air and that that's going to have that's going to have that's going to push me more towards the fight or flight side of things and everything now in, in my world or your world or everyone's world is kind of designed to push us more towards that so every time i look at my phone or my screen like i'm looking at now my my that that is more of a fight or flight state so if i was walking in nature the opposite of that would be loads of really nice peripheral vision and that's kind of more um that's more rest and digest so me looking at my screen, me getting an email, me uh, even the lights in my house at night, that's pushing me more towards that. All of these things. So that's more an inhaled, taking in too much air state. So the opposite of that, then you'll see in the program, there's so much emphasis on exhaling the air out. That's going to get, yes, the ribs to start to pump and everything else to start to pump. But it's also going to think, it's also going to get, that air so now when i inhale i'm actually taking in fresh air and i can fill up my lungs rather than always filling up like a third of the lungs because the two thirds are full already so again a bit of a bit of a long one but um we we could talk this for another three weeks and i could keep saying why their breathing is so important but that's the that's i guess some of the points i think yeah, nice one. I think that'll give people a lot of food for thought for sure. So um, it's very, very interesting stuff. And I think then it, it does come down to 
you know, a lot of the stuff that we always talk about, which is lifestyle management and, and that kind of thing. And you can see how that's then also going to, you know, not only from some of the, the biomechanics and the sympathetic, parasympathetic stuff that you've just spoken about, but just, you know, if we're reducing general, general stress, we're going to, you know, get less of a, of a pain response. We're going to get, um, you know, better sleep, which then is also going to affect your perception of pain and, and quality of movement and recovery and all of that sort of stuff. So it's all really this big sort of ecosystem, very interesting to kind of all join together. Um, so, yeah, I think it's a, it's a big thing. And I guess you're seeing much more of it sort of come out now, but I get the feeling that a lot of people are going to be starting to prescribe this breathing stuff to their clients without really understanding what the point of it is. And they're just going to probably give it to people in the same way that, you know, maybe foam rolling was just given to people just because or uh, yeah. whatever it is. So I think it is important to kind of get the information out there and, and yeah. tell people that, you know, that's, and that's it, takes, it. it takes just one other thing on that. Um, Luke, it, t- it takes coaching and that's not me trying to sell myself um, in any way or shape or form. I'm, I'm too busy as it is, but it does take coaching. So if you just tell people to lie on the floor and exhale, an exhale that they will do will be very different than an exhale that I've spent 20 minutes to coach them to do and because their ribs still won't move when they exhale. You have to get them to move in a specific way. And when they inhale, you have to try and get them to move in a specific way. And we are so, so bad at it that, that uh, it, it could take me, it took, could take me 30 minutes to actually get one decent breath out of someone. But from a nervous system, from a, from a neuroplasticity standpoint, that I just want them to be able to feel that one really good breath. And then from there, I actually, I can, I can be pretty safe in thinking that even when they're, because breathing should be subconscious when, when we go throughout our day, I don't want people thinking I need to be breathing in a certain way. Although it can be nice to just pay attention to what's happening when you're, when you're sitting there or when you're driving, or especially when you're having negative thoughts, you'll feel your breathing goes all over the place. But we just need to get people to feel some of these things. And it can almost, like, it can almost be like a reset. And then they can, they can go on with their day from there and practice it for their five minutes. And then the 22,000 other breaths a day that they take, they're going to be a little, even if they're 1% better, that's a big, big increase. And just like you're saying, I'm always big on the more, the more mini small wins I can give someone throughout the day, the better. So make sure their sleep is good. Make sure, make sure like what they're thinking about their body is, is, is decent. And they're not thinking I'm, I'm screwed here. You know, make sure that they're breathing pretty well, make sure that they're eating well, make sure that they're getting their walks in. If most people tick off those boxes, they're, they're way, way, way ahead of, of where they think they, they don't need to go on deadlift uh, as heavy to, to sort out their back pain. They don't need to do all these things. They don't need to go for manual therapy. They need to take off the basics and, and they'll be usually pretty good. Yeah, great points. Um, actually, that, that point about getting the ribs to move was kind of key for me because I, th- I think, as you said, a lot of people focus on, yeah, okay, the big inhale, the big exhale, but the point of it is to get the rib cage to move, right? So I think that that cue is is very, very helpful. Um, you mentioned you're pretty busy at the moment. So I did actually want to talk about this a little bit because uh, I find this interesting. Like, 
are you finding much time to to do more learning and to kind of pursue some ideas you've had or have you just been sort of too flat out the last year or so yeah i'm i was i was asked this on another podcast uh oh no they were asking about uh so over covid what have you like what's the biggest thing you've you've kind of or what resources have you consumed that you would recommend to everyone i was like you know what it's really it's a really bad sign for me because i can't answer that very well so i've been really busy and um i've definitely neglected my own learning a little bit and probably neglected my own health a little bit as well but i think like i said kind of to you at the start when we're chatting i think that sometimes you have to go too far to realize where too far is and now i'm trying to scale that back a little bit so yes i am like i've spent I think I've spent about three grand on courses over the last week. Uh, so, yes, yeah, so I am learning a lot, but probably not as much as I would want to be. Um, but I guess I've learned a lot more maybe on other sides of things. So I'm just, I just have an obsession with like biomechanics and movement and stuff like that. And maybe it's better for me to branch out into other things. So I've learned a lot more about kind of, even though I have a degree in business and marketing, I've learned more in the last kind of six months with regards to business and marketing stuff. Uh, practical stuff and website stuff and online courses and and things like that um so i guess i guess i have i shouldn't be too hard on myself because i've learned on that side of things but not the stuff that i really love doing you know yeah it can be so tough man when you've got a lot going on as well and i i mean look uh FaceTime with clients is also a great teacher. So, I mean, I'm sure you've, you've probably refined the way you do things there a lot yeah. as well. Uh, what's, is there something in particular that you're sort of looking forward to exploring a bit more when you've got a bit more time? Um, a bit more training myself. <laughs> uh, I need a bit more of that. Um, I'm after putting on a little bit of a COVID belly, I think, like a, like a few other people probably, but, um, <laughs> which is not good. Um, I'm... I'm I'm trying to get I'm trying to get learn a little bit more from the whole track and field world um, as much as I can. I I love that stuff. I love the I don't love the stopwatch sports in terms of I always grew up playing field sports and that I'd watch uh, a field sport any day. But there's something really nice about the track and field world. So if you line up ten sprinters and they go for hundred meters and one guy performs really poorly then that coach probably has something to answer for so he has skin in the game there he has he has a my your training or not necessarily him but he definitely has some questions to answer might not have been his fault but my training did not work here and i work with a lot of i'm lucky enough to work with tons of hot like really top level athletes and I see strength and conditioning coaches a lot of the time and physios and all these people. And someone's squat can go up in the gym. And that doesn't really matter if like, it doesn't mean that they're going to perform better on the field. So I can, or some, or someone can have the, basically a strength and conditioning coach could have the worst program ever in the history of the world for their, for their athlete. And that athlete could go out and stick the ball in the net in the last minute of the game. And everyone will say that coach was amazing. He did an amazing job. But it was nothing to do with the, the physical um, attributes. It could have been just the pure skill of the player. And he could have been way worse, but he just has a big game mentality and he got it right. But in the, in the track world, 
I have a stopwatch and if you're not faster, then if you, if you squat more and you're not actually faster, then what's the point in you squatting more? It does not matter. So that I loved, I love that. And those guys have such a good view of movement. If you talk to a track coach, they might have never read a biomechanics book or an anatomy book, but they, they can look at movement and they know what's happening. So I'm really exploring more of that. And um, it's really nice to get their point of view on things. Yeah, that's very interesting. And I think probably a lot of people listening to this would not be super familiar with that side of, of physicality, but it's been really valuable for me to also think a bit more about that stuff and like, hang on, you know, I was always told quarter squats are bad, but it's like, well, let's look at the joint angles when you're, when you're running and jumping. I mean, squatting ass to grass is, you know, that's all well and good, but is this actually what we're trying to get out of the sport? And is this quality movement for what this person's trying to achieve? Mm -hmm. Um, which actually I wanted to ask a little bit, like, I'm sure you probably, I mean, obviously you work with some strength athletes like Crozier and, and things like that. And then you're also working with the, the field sport athletes and, and this and that, um, you know, I think there's probably a couple of things I want to say on this. So I hope I actually get a question out of the end of it, but, uh, <laughs> you don't, it's but okay. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I think, you know, there's one of these things where, um, firstly, I think extension in general, that what you spoke about before the anterior pelvic tilt, the thoracic lumbar extension, that kind of thing is highly prized in the gym. That's the correct way to move according to a lot of people. And that's, that's one thing. And that doesn't necessarily, um, you know, we haven't come in and said, no, that's bad. It's just like, you have to get into the other positions as well. But, you know, I, I feel that maybe the approach because the movement variability that's required in a team sport is so much different to, you know, an, like, let's say sprinting in a straight line or just lifting weights in a gym. Like, how do you go about uh, dealing with that? You know, is it, is it necessary for us to have so much variability if we're just going to be in a gym in a very controlled environment set up on a leg press or something? Not, not necessarily. No, it's not. Um, but at some point, it might come back to bite you. Uh, so yes. So John Coyley, who's an Irish strength and conditioning coach, um, but he's pretty famous around the world because he's um, he's a PhD. He has some. He actually has loads of really good like neuroscience type of. Uh, he, he's big on the on the on the kind of world of variability. So he talks about having having a, a path so you're walking down your path or no, you're not walking down your path you have your movement is the path okay and you're you're on your path and you train the same way all of the time and that path gets narrower and narrower and narrower and the movements that you perform get narrower and narrower and narrower and over time that's fine and i get very efficient at doing those movements but now there's a little small curveball thrown in or I suddenly need to move in a slightly different way. But my path is so narrow that if I, if I try and step to the right at all, I'm falling into the weeds. And that's a dangerous place to be. So yes, we don't all need to be able to perform the splits or anything. I don't care about that stuff unless you're a gymnast. But if you have lost that movement maybe of the hips, of the ribs, of the spine then I think it's going to come back to bite you at some stage. And again, like someone like Will, Will needs to be 
he needs to be extended. He needs to be very tight. He needs to be able to go up and down with as little variability as possible. So he puts a barbell on his back, he goes down and he comes back up and he doesn't want anything else to happen because he can't lift as much weight. But when I, this is what we're working on. When Will wakes up in the morning, he wants to be able to go for a walk and feel good. So that, and we're working on a lot of the opposite movements and he does this with his clients anyway. And this is what he speaks about on Instagram and stuff a lot as well. So I, he, I know he won't mind me saying it, but he, we're working on a lot of protraction, a lot of kind of a little bit of flexion through the spine. We're working on frontal plane movements, so side to side type movements, because if he can get a little bit more of that, then he can go back into the gym, tr- trash himself a little bit more in the sagittal plane. And then he can take himself out of that. Whereas if he just went, trashed myself, trashed myself, trashed myself, his road gets so narrow, suddenly he pings a small little, there's a little little tweak in his knee or something like that. He has nowhere left to go. That was the only path he has. So he can't even compensate away from that. So field sport athletes need more variability, but it's, again, it comes back to KPIs. It's like, it's like, yes, I can get more movement in. So you see people like saying, do the, do the deepest squat and the deepest split squat, maybe. But if, the, if, they're, if they're getting more movement in the sagittal plane like that, so more flexion, more extension at the hips, are they losing more frontal plane? Because movement is a trade-off. So if they're going, if they're getting biasing, like supination at the foot all the time, are they losing the ability to go into that pronation? So I just always want make, to make sure that people have access to a little bit of both and then they can go and do whatever they want from there. But I think a lot of our training in the gym for, for athletes, at least, it, it, it makes us very strong in certain ways and takes away movement options in others. And I don't think that needs to be the case. I think we can get move better and get stronger at the same time. And um, traditionally... Some people can do that. Some people can get away with that. Other people like myself and like the vast majority of the population, I would say, they're getting stronger and their hips are moving worse. Most people you talk to, I, I feel tighter. My, my spine doesn't move very well. My shoulders are getting a bit cranky. I don't think that needs to be the case. Yeah, well said. I, I, I like the way that you sort of approach that. And I, I tend to agree just from personal experience, having spent a long time training in the gym and, and doing the same shit over and over and feeling myself um, get more restricted, even in some basic bodybuilding movements that I maybe want to do or some powerlifting movements, just can't really do them as well anymore because of that, uh, that lack mm-hmm. of variability. Um, I just wanted to change direction a little bit and ask, you know, you've obviously gotten some increased attention a lot over the last year or so and as you mentioned like you've gotten very busy and all that sort of stuff and I, I wanted to actually just ask how you're sort of handling it all like from a you know I suppose being able to put yourself out there on social media and and having to handle this influx of, of you know taking appointments and seeing people and all that sort of stuff just yeah. like from a, a mental health a productivity a personal life perspective yeah. how's it all been going pretty good like it's all it's up and down um definitely spending too much time i think on my phone on instagram and stuff like that um which probably would be fine if i wasn't if that was so that's becoming a big part of my business but i still have all the appointments on the side as well uh or not on the side i still have all the appointments as well as that and still have the 
the other stuff that comes with that, the admin stuff. So you see people who are like, you have to post something every day and you have to, you have to be on Instagram all the time interacting. I think that's fine. Cause that's, and maybe, maybe you're a little bit like that. That's, that's kind of a big part of your job. And um, that's probably getting more and more part of my job now. Um, so I'm, I'm trying to balance it. So I do have, I do have Kira working for me now who's doing that or working for the business. I should say not working for me. She'd kill me. Um, but she's doing a lot of the, uh, the admin stuff and the bookings and all that, which helps. Um, and then I, obviously the programs that I released, I released those because I have, I do have like, you, you can't, you can't book in to work with me straight away. You have to wait a few weeks and, um, maybe some people can't afford to or whatever, but the programs I think are really affordable and it's like, if you go and do that program, I'm pretty confident if you do the things fairly well and consistently, you will get better results than going in person to 90% of the other therapists around. And again, I don't want to say that that's because I'm amazing or the program is amazing. I think it's because the things that other people are doing are really poor and um it's this stuff isn't amazing it's just what i think is just basics like just be able to do this stuff and you'll move pretty well so that that program has helped me kind of helped me to relax a little bit more and um try and take more time for myself and stuff like that which i'm working on and it's probably always going to be a battle but um we're kind of getting there and it's always i bounce around like i'm trying to think of one day I'm like, oh, we're going we're gonna to take over the world with the business side of things. And then the next day I'm like, I just want to be able to play with my dog and go for a walk on the beach. Like, I don't, I don't need to be able to do that <laughs> stuff, you know? Um, yeah. So, yeah, it bounces around a bit. Um, but in the past, I've been like, I don't care about making money. But now it's, that's not the case. Like, I, I'm not afraid to say that I, I, want to, I want to make, I want the business to be good and make decent money just so it can support, like, I, I think we can do a good job and we can talk about, yeah, I want to, I want to make money, but not, not to be greedy or anything, just so I can have a good, comfortable life and um, help loads of people, I think, you know? Yeah, I was actually talking about this with Funny um, yesterday about how sometimes you do have to be okay with accepting that, like, yeah, I do want to be busier. I do want to make more money. I do want to grow the business because it just gives you more opportunities to continue to do the mm -hmm. stuff you love and potentially to impact more people provided it's not going down too far down that road. But it's a, it's a really um, interesting thing. I've kind of gone through the same thing where like, I'm a, I'm a one man show and could easily have at this point gone down the road of like, well, let me hire another coach to work under me. Let me hire mm -hmm. people to do this. Let me pay for marketing, all of this sort of stuff. And you could grow the business into a beast, but I had to stop myself a few times and be like, do I, do I want that? Like, I, I love the fact that, I set my own schedule and I don't have to answer to anybody except the clients who are paying me to, to do their, their coaching. And that's pretty much it. And that's, that's not a bad spot to be in. No, there's a lot to be said for that. Definitely. Definitely. Um, it's a, it's an easy trap to fall into though. It's like I'm hiring someone else and then uh, I'm outsourcing and, and stuff, but you see people that suddenly all they're doing their whole job is just making sure everyone else is doing their job well but you're you're still working as much as you were before anyway but you're not doing the stuff you enjoy anymore so it's a trap yeah, um, exactly it's a tough but, one yeah but then people in the industry that there's this weird thing in the industry where they'll say i'm just in it for the people and i don't care about making money and uh it's you don't you don't have to choose you don't have to put on a front where like i want my business to be successful without without having to 
because, 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 and someone asked me this on Instagram the other day about, I'm going to actually ask it to uh, answer that question today uh, about marketing your products on Instagram and stuff. And they're afraid to market. I'm saying it comes down to two things. It comes down to one thing, really. Are you confident in the service that you're providing? And do you think it can help people? And if the answer is yes, I, I genuinely think this can help a lot of people, then I have no problem saying go and buy this product. Because I think if people buy that product and do it, they'll, 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 they'll get better, they'll feel better. And I'm confident in that. So I don't mind marketing stuff that I believe in. It'd be different if I was taking free products from people. Or I know we've had this conversation in the past where so, someone sends you stuff and you start to promote stupid things that you don't believe in. That's when, you're, that's when you're falling into the weeds. And I think you'll end up in a few years time coming out of that and saying, what was I doing? Yeah, too right, man. Uh, totally agree with that. It's, it's this weird false dichotomy where a lot of people will say like, oh, I'm just in this industry to help people. And it's like, mate, listen, the amount of stress you would be under if you were making more than 40K, mm -hmm. like it would just make you a happier person. You'd give a better service and there's no reason why you can't do that and help people at the same time. So. Exactly. Yeah. Um, cool, man. Uh, I'll get you to maybe plug your stuff or we'll stop the recording and we can chat a bit more on the other end, but um, just give everybody a bit, you know, where they can reach you, where they can have a look at your programs and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, the best place is probably Instagram, just David Gray Rehab, G-R-E-Y. Um, have a website, but it's not great. <laughs> it needs a bit of work. Uh, so the website is the same, davidgrayrehab.com. Um, and yeah, I won't even, I won't even plug the program. I've probably done a little bit more than I even wanted to there, but, um, it's just come on, come on to Instagram. And if you feel like you, you want to, if you feel like some of the stuff is what I'm saying is interesting to you, then you can always check out the program from there. But, um, that would be the, the first stop. It's just a bit of some breathing stuff, some very, very hard hamstring and calf and foot stuff. And, um, a little bit of mix of mobility and strength pretty much that can be done from home. So, um, but I would say just go, go on Instagram and see if you like the stuff I'm posting first and then, and then you decide if it's for you or not. Yeah. Brilliant. And just to give my personal endorsement, I think it's definitely worth at least uh, giving a go if it is something that sort of speaks to you, because I think you mentioned it early on, you know, you pay, uh, like whatever it is, like 50 euro for the program that, that then gives you the tools to fix your problems yourself versus having to see someone for the rest of your life that's going to cost you 50 euro a visit for like the next five years or something like that. So definitely worth yeah. looking at. Exactly. Yeah. So thank you very much for having me on, Luke. Always a pleasure. Yeah. Thanks, mate. Uh, all right, everybody. I'll leave some links and stuff in the show notes, but otherwise I'll catch you next time. All right, that was it for the episode with David Gray. Thanks very much for listening. Once again, if you wouldn't mind giving us a quick share and or rating, then we'd be really appreciative of that. If you do decide to share us, make sure that you tag David and I so that we can say thank you. And I'll catch you in the next episode. Cheers.